Yes, hello, let's get cracking. It's the Not The Top 20 Monday podcast with me, Ali Maxwell, and with me, George Ellick. If I sound a little rushed, it's because this weekend, George, English football went goal crazy, 102 across the three divisions. It, uh, we, we spoke on Sky on Friday night about how few goals there'd been, how much rust on show in the final third on opening weekend, uh, and the rust has gone now. The defensive errors remain. Uh, it was a hell of a weekend across all three leagues. Yeah, I said to someone in the week that post-lockdown, um, the football that happened at the end of last season, I really enjoyed, and, and the lack of fans didn't really make any impact. For some reason, last weekend, I felt for the first time like it did, and I now think it was just because there weren't very many goals, because <laughs> this weekend was great again, and, uh, and not much change. Obviously, there were a 1,000 fans in seven stadiums, which was great, but um, the return of the goals surprisingly brought back a return of the of the good feeling and uh, I hope the rest of the season transpires to be kind of an average of like four goals a game because that'll be really fun <laughs> we'll see we'll see uh, a thousand fans in seven stadia as you said there uh, only two of the teams won that hosted fans which I thought was kind of perfect in a way you know there's it shows that there's a bit of room for sentiment in football because it was clear that for the fans who attended and for those of us who are waiting to be allowed to go back into the grounds, that the emotional side of it remained. Uh, We got two messages uh, from people at games. Fiona was at Bloomfield Road, the Blackpool fan. She said it was terrific. Just being back was terrific. The setup was very good and very well managed and it didn't feel too difficult or inconvenient. I'd have liked to brew though. Uh, And Michael Mm. was at Middlesbrough, Bournemouth. He said it was excellent, one-way systems if you needed the toilet. It was great just being back. No food or drink available in the ground. Hand sanitizer outside and in the ground worked really well. So there you can see uh, from our two reporters uh, in the stands there that it was a positive experience for those who went, that it felt safe, uh, and that is obviously pretty crucial, uh, but also that there are a few changes, one-way systems, hand sanitizer, no food or drink, things that that we kind of took for granted previously, but hopefully, hopefully, George, and and we don't know what will happen on a national level, and there's a lot of bad news floating around, or bad rumours anyway, but hopefully that trial, that pilot will have gone well, and hopefully will persuade uh, the powers that be that we can start letting more clubs host fans. It's time to get into the weekend action now. Just a note to anyone who enjoys tactics chat. After George's stats corner at the end of last week's Monday pod, I got a bit jealous. I wanted to do something similar. I've got tactics corner at the end. This morning, I've done some research on the formations being used by teams across all three leagues uh, in the first two league games of the season. Who is playing what and any trends for each league. So if you like the sound of that, make sure you listen right to the end of the pod. Also, because we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about, starting with Blackburn 5, Wickham 0. Uh, the big winners in the championship this weekend, George Blackburn, with their first win of this early campaign. Uh, and that Adam Armstrong propaganda piece that we did on Sky Sports on Friday night, that was uh, pretty well-timed, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, well done. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was It was very well-timed. Um, and this was, you know, we mentioned this felt like a bit of a, a, a watershed season for Armstrong to really push himself from being a very good championship striker to being, you know, one that Premier League teams are looking at bringing in. And more displays like this certainly will do that. And as we mentioned on Sky, there does feel like this season we're going to see no longer Armstrong the spectacular, although I'm sure we, we will still see some set pieces and the like, but his role is going to be far more as a penalty box striker. And that is what came to pass here. Um, scoring a penalty, very penalty box that. <laughs> and then a couple of more poachers finished. Then also missing a very good chance to, to score their sixth goal. And he was scampering away one on one when Charles brought him down for the Yeah, exactly. Um, but this is all quite exciting for Blackburn because... You know, we spoke pre-season about how Mowbray had taken a look at his squad and kind of decided just to go again without any sweeping changes. But there have been a couple of changes, but it's more in terms of, of bringing through some some youth players. Yeah. Um, you know, it was Tyree Stoden who won the penalty and then scored the second goal, who kind of really caught the eye, an attacking diminutive right winger. But the whole right side was basically youngsters. At right back, they had Joe Rankin-Costello, who was very lively up and down it. Um, the thing I think is only 13th championship appearance uh, Buckley John Buckley came on 21 years old set up the, the last goal for Adam Armstrong as well with a really nice pass so you know we, we thought we were going to see the same Blackburn side again but seemingly they've got 
two or three lads who are at a decent age. You know, they're not teenagers. They're coming into the side at an age where they can make an impact. And the early signs are that they will. But, you know, you've got to caveat that by saying that Wickham are quite clearly the weakest side in the league uh, in terms of, of what they have at their disposal and their wage budget. They were playing against 10 men for 33 minutes. I don't quite know how it happened, but both for Darius Charles's red card, which looked pretty harsh, and for the, the um, Adam Armstrong's last goal, they managed to get behind Wickham's high line, which I, I've never seen before. Um, so if other teams can work out how to do that, it might make that low block a bit easier to uh, to break down if it doesn't exist. But you know they couldn't have done any more. And, and yeah, it feels like playing Wickham at this early stage might be quite a good thing for teams to be doing. Bit of a quirk with Tyrese Dolan. Not only that he spells his name Tyrese, T-Y-R-H-Y-S, like Reese, but with Ty uh, in front of it. It, it sort of, it looks like something from Game of Thrones, I'd say, that first name. But also the fact that he joined Blackburn in the summer from Preston, where he'd been a youth player. So he's not one through the Blackburn Academy. And I'm still a little confused about exactly how this played out, whether... Dolan wasn't just simply wasn't fancied by Preston, which would be surprising given the the skill on the ball uh, and the pace that we saw, um, the, the sort of exciting nature of this young player at such a young age. Uh, Luke, a Preston fan who I asked about this, said Neil just didn't fancy him. Said he was, or thought rather, didn't say, thought he was all sizzle and no steak, <laughs> which I thought was a great phrase. Uh, plus, our youth development record is awful. Uh, and their loss is very much Blackburn's gain by the look, uh, gain by the looks of things. I think it's really important to, to build on the point that you said about these young players coming through. You've also got players, albeit not youth players through the system here, but players like... Jacob Davenport, who came off the bench, of course, he's still a very young player. And Harry Chapman as well, who started off at Borough and, and Blackburn picked him up and he's still only 22. And And it's a funny balance, I think, sometimes for fans to, to try and find between being excited at a group of players between the age of 19 and 22, let's say, because Brereton is, is still a young player, despite the fact they they paid a pretty penny for him, uh, ranking Costello, etc. It's exciting to see these guys come through and fans want to see players developed in-house. But when you haven't signed anyone uh, throughout the whole summer and other clubs have, you can start wondering why that is and, and you can't really have it both ways. I understand that you can have a balance between bringing in players each summer and giving minutes to these sort of development squad type uh, players. But it's difficult. And if you want to see these guys, then actually just buying a ready-made player for a million quid or, or upwards of that, uh, you know, that, that makes the pathway for these guys less obvious. So a really positive weekend for Blackburn. Um, it was in the week Lewis Travis picked up an injury in the Carabao Cup, which means he'll be out for a few months, which was, which is really sad because he's a player that we like a lot in their midfield. So this was a, a welcome, positive tonic for Rovers fans this weekend and, and for Wickham, uh, as Tom Hancock, who writes for Chairboy Central, said a bit of a bit of a wake up call for them. Bit of a welcome to the championship, I think, for them. Uh, let's go to the three sides, George, on maximum points. Two wins from two, starting with the game on Sunday, which was Stoke nil, Bristol City two. Golden Dean Holden, 100% record in the league this season. If you cast your mind back to the hiring process, you'll remember there was a, a, a lot of angst amongst the fan base that uh, at the point where Bristol City fans felt they might be able to attract a proven manager to, to the extent that any manager can be proven uh, a bigger name perhaps someone like Chris Hewton was bandied about a lot and they went with Dean Holden the incumbent sort of interim manager assistant coach to to Lee Johnson there were a lot of people calling that a lack of ambition well they're certainly playing ambitious football under Holden and it's been a really positive start we felt like the game against Coventry was pretty even and that they hadn't stood out to a to a large extent on opening weekend I would say the opposite here, a, a brilliant performance against a Stoke side that we thought would be quite difficult to beat. Stoke were poor, but there's so many positives uh, and, and excitement around this Bristol City side and the way that they're playing as well. Just looking at the, the names on the pitch, to have Tyreek Backinson make his first league start for the club, so highly rated, he's been on so many loans, uh, and to play so well uh, on the ball, always offering for it, passing well, passing forward, passing accurately. And the two number eights, are Vyman and Jamie Patterson, who are about as attacking as you can get in that position, up top two players in Chris Martin and Naki Wells. So even on paper, it looks exciting. And you can see it on the pitch. There is an onus on quick attacking play, which I think bodes really, really well, uh, uh, you know, in comparison to some of the 
really disappointing and quite stale attacking play that we saw under Lee Johnson for the last year and more. Uh, and on the bench, they've got Jeju, Semenyo, who's made a difference already, Eliasson, uh, Casey Palmer as well. It's really exciting times for, for Bristol City. Um, feeling quite positive about them after that performance yesterday. Yeah, if, if you take all the rookie managers that we are seeing so far after a couple of games, um, there's one... Um, in League Two, having his first season, Mark Bonner, who you have to say has done pretty well. But I think in terms of people we know effectively nothing about, um, Dean Holden and what he's done and the way he's set up his team is really impressive because not only uh, are we seeing results, but as you mentioned, it's the process to get there. They're, we're seeing like a clear idea of how they want to play, an idea of how they want to dominate games of football. Um, to switch to a three at the back shows that he has his own kind of personal tactical footprint and as you mentioned it's bizarre the you know the personnel they set out with we normally probably think of a 3-5-2 being a fairly you know not a particularly attacking formation mm. but given the bodies they have in those central areas as well as the ball players they have at the back in Mawson, Viner and Moore as well um, it all suggests there's going to be pretty slick stuff going on and in Martin and Wells you've got a little and large-ish duo where you've got Martin who you know is still technically very good but also has that physicality and Wells who can play across the line and can move into the wide channels as well as we saw uh, in the game um, it all bodes very well indeed and, and they came up against a side in Stoke who we expect to be fairly solid and have certainly have the attacking capabilities to uh, you know trouble sides and even despite not having that kind of screening midfielder um, they didn't really get any change at all out of Bristol City so important not to get too carried away no um and you know the fun thing about Vyman is that you know there's been no denying his talent as a footballer ever really and you know he's one of those players where the, the best fin best finisher at the club tag seems to follow him yeah. around a fair bit but no one's ever really worked out where best to play him he can't play as a lone striker he's been pretty poor playing inside in, in, in a three so maybe this is it just kind of breaking through those yeah. midfield lines and getting into the box late um it's yeah it's couldn't really have been a, a better game here to show what they're all about. And um, you've got to be positive looking forward. Very uh, sloppy performance from Stoke. Lacked ideas and looked some poor passing around the back. Gave Bristol City an early chance, which was well saved. But for the first goal, it's a, you know, a sort of uh, a, a ball floated in from the right. There are six or seven Stoke defenders in the box to deal with it. Uh, and they don't and well scores. And that's that'll be really disappointing from their perspective. Another team with a 100% record, George. Reading, they beat Barnsley 2-0. Ding, ding, ding. Quite large caveats. <laughs> Is that the caveat klaxon? No, it's, it's red, red ding. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought you were already stopping me in my tracks to no, tell no. me that, uh, you know, that, you, that you can't read too much into a game where the opposition go down to 10 in the first half. Yeah, I'm not, we shouldn't take anything away from Reading here. Um, I think we can take big positives from Barnsley's performance in the first 42 minutes because they were, I would say, on top at that stage. Mm -hmm. um, the troubling thing from Reading's perspective is possibly that they only had six shots in a game where they're playing against nine men for, for, for 22 of them. But they were fairly comfortable, I think, once they were in control and ahead. Um, a scrappy goal from for Mate, And probably, I would say, the goal of the day from Michael Elise, which hasn't really got the attention it deserves necessarily. The goal of the day? Well, I think because... Across all three leagues or just in the championship? Across all three leagues. Wow. I mean, he's basically hit a spinning ball first time from 30 yards into the corner. I think the reason it's not getting attention is A, because it was against nine men. B, because he doesn't really react at all afterwards. And because they're already ahead. But if you watch it back, like mm. it's, it's absolutely remarkable. Like, if he's scoring that in a different circumstance, um, then it's going to be very different. And, you know, and added to that, he's an 18-year-old um, kind of having his first full season yep. as a starter at this level it all, it's all quite exciting listen to me saying positives about Reading you'd think you wouldn't think I hate them would you um, <laughs> which I don't uh, but um, yeah I mean it's one of those games where I think drawing conclusions would be foolish on any part because of the circumstances I'm not you know both um, Helic and Anderson's red cards you can look at them you, can, you, could, you could fairly say that both of them were a case of the player being unlucky Helic you know, you could say he couldn't really get out of the way um, as, um, you know, as he brought the player down. You could say that Anderson, his arm is in a natural position when it lands and basically mm. picks up the ball. Or you could say they, they both knew exactly what they were doing and they were trying to pass it off as being unfortunate. <laughs> um, there's not really much point in getting into it. It's going to be frustrating for Barnsley to be without two defenders um, for, for, through suspension because it's not an area they're necessarily blessed with much depth. Um, but important for Barnsley fans not to be too downhearted about being zero from two and at the same time for Reading 
you know, take this, take the circumstantial win. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a perfect start so far. So couldn't, it literally couldn't have gone better. Yeah, I was going to say, pro- probably the thing I'm mostly reading into Reading's first two games is that they have been solid at the back. They have been restricting their opponent's chances. And that's a, you know, maybe that's a, a, a leftover from Mark Bowen's regime. Defensive structure was something he worked on very closely. It's it's hard to imagine that Paunovic has had enough time to really nail down a, a different sort of defensive structure, but it's going very well. Rinomota and Laurent seem to be, uh, Laurent rather, uh, seem to be uh, patrolling the midfield very well for the most part. And uh, it's good. It's a really good start for Reading and let's hope they can build on that. Luton also have a 100% record, six points from six. They beat Barnsley last weekend away from home. They beat Derby this weekend, 2-1 at home. Just a lot of things to be pleased about. The first goal felt significant for uh, another example of Nathan Jones's man management side of things. The, the very fact that Elliot Lee had been completely bombed out by Graham Jones was just not involved really at all. Uh, and Luke Berry, albeit played a little more under Graham Jones, but I don't think it felt like he was a huge part of this squad. And, and obviously these guys having been such good players for Jones previously, Nathan that is, uh, at League One level, especially they combined to score the first goal. They are back and motivated. Danny Hilton's involved in the squad as well. It's uh, From a man management perspective, Everyone's on side and you can see that. But also, Norrington Davis has started his loan really well. Um, played really well in this game down the left-hand side. We know that Nathan Jones is the fullback whisperer, uh, having been a fullback himself. And we know that the, the very fact of playing at fullback for a Nathan Jones side means you normally thrive. And that's good to see and a, a good spot for Norrington Davis to play his first championship football. And of course, Jordan Clark as well, who um, we saw for many seasons thriving uh, on the right side of midfield for Accrington, deserving a, a chance higher up. He's not starting games in the league yet, but he's still impacting them uh, off the bench to score the winning goal. Luton caused a ton of problems down Derby's left side at Luton's right side. And I expect to see other teams target that side because at the moment, with Lowe having left, you've got Forsyth playing left back. Now, last season, we saw him play left centre-back quite a lot. I think the, the idea being that mobility-wise, Forsyth's just not really at it or up to it at this level. Cornick showed that, um, really caused him a ton of problems. So expect teams to target Derby's left side because of Forsyth. And if he's not playing, the other option is the youngster Buchanan. Uh, players, teams will always target, you know, rookie defenders as well. Uh, positive for Derby was that Jozwiak looked bright on debut, got a nice assist as well. Um, but really positive for Luton. They can build on this six points from six. Great start. There was a good stat I can't remember the exact numbers, but you might be able to remember about how many shots on target under Nathan Jones mm. in recent times had flown in. And I just wanted to point out that against Derby, Luton had three shots on target and two of them went in. So I'm not... Hot finish. I'm not here to, um, you know, to dampen any mood at Luton, but I'm sure Nathan Jones will agree. And I'm sure, um, you know, Keepers are going to start making some saves against them fairly soon, so they're going to have to find a way to create a little bit more. Would you eat your hat if the Hatters continued this conversion streak? Mm, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I thought you were going to say continue this form. I was like, no, it's way too early to be to be kind of getting all um, all nerdy about the data side of things. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, they're not going to be scoring every goal that they every shot they that they stick on target. George, tell me what you thought about Friday night's game between Coventry and QPR, uh, which we watched together in, uh, in a, a lovely green, win- windowless room in a green room at, uh, at Sky, waiting our turn, um, which came later on in the evening. And look, it was a it was a five goal game, but I think it would be wrong to call it a five goal thriller. Do you sort of know what I mean? Like you see the scoreline and you think this was an absolutely brilliant game, but it didn't necessarily feel like that. It didn't feel like there were tons of chances outside of the goals. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with the last bit. I think it was quite exciting. I think, you know. Would you go as far as to say thriller? Coventry? Yeah, possibly. Okay. Sorry. I mean, no, it, it, wasn't, cause it wasn't like a 3-2 where like... You don't have to agree. You know, both, both teams led um, at different stages. We had a goal in the last five minutes. Um, we had a pretty electric performance from Callum, Callum O'Hare that was exciting. But that's kind, that's kind of my point, is that all of that is true, and yet, like, it, it, I don't I, think it was an incredible you know game. What, Ali, I had a great time. Okay. I, had a, I had a great time watching it with my friend Ali, um, <laughs> and that was good. Uh, but, yeah, it was... I, I don't think watching it, it felt like, felt like it was a team, a, a game 
between two sides who are going to be right up there. You know, sometimes you come away from the championship games knowing you've seen a a clash of, of two good championship sides. And I think that these two are both destined for kind of mid-table at best. Having said that, it's big for Coventry to get this win. They were very, very poor in the first, basically up until the goal. Up until Lyndon Dykes' goal, they were really poor. Tell the um, listeners what I said when QPR went 1-0 up. Yeah, but I, you, you seem to be very excited about this. <laughs> but or you, you, you basically said that you thought Coventry had been very poor. And then Not they, what I said. I said, what I'm a bit confused about here is, based on what I know about Coventry, I feel like they're really playing within, within themselves. themselves. I don't yeah. think they're playing at all the way that they can and should be playing. Yeah. And as soon as they went behind, they started playing that way. Yeah. And won the game. Yeah. I'm just saying it was it a feels, good feels, it was a good observation at a good time. It feels to me like you thought you said, I reckon they're now gonna start playing the way that they, that they, that they normally play. It was more like <laughs> I think they've got way more in the tank, and then as soon as I said it, they proved that they did. And it was and it was almost put okay. It, okay, let's rephrase it. You're, if you're, I was a Coventry fan, I would be thinking to myself, why did it take QPR going ahead for us to start playing fine. properly? Your your inference was very subtle, that's what I'm gonna say. The hidden meaning behind the, the comment. But, you know, you're an excellent pundit, as we all saw in Quest on Saturday night. So <laughs> I shouldn't be doubting you in any way. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it, this, it's a big win for Coventry. Um, I thought that we saw enough there from certain players. I thought Darbo had a very, very good game at right back, who seems to be taking the step up very well. As I mentioned, I think O'Hare is going to be a real live wire um, for them this season. You know, we, I think we're going to see him play a much bigger role for them um, up in the championship than, than maybe his more kind of impact sub role. Um, in the last campaign, he's developing very quickly. Hamer in the second half, um, he was very, very poor in the first half. Well, that's a bit harsh. He The game was just completely Felt not Felt like he was playing game. within himself a little bit <laughs> in the first <laughs> half. <laughs> Given that QPR just completely dominated the ball and he's a, and he's a ball-playing midfielder, um, he didn't really have a role to play. But in the second half, as Coventry stepped it up a bit, we saw some real moments of quality, um, which is exciting. So... Yeah, it's a big win for them. It's frustrating for Warburton and for QPR that after such a solid display um, against Forest, they were just very, very abject um, defensively. Like the, the, the understanding teams between... teams don't just get way better defensively because they sign one player. But, I mean, Funny that. Barbe's positioning at times is just bizarre. It's like he doesn't realise he's playing on the left-hand side of a, of a back two. So like you could see Dickie turning around being like, for the, um, was it the second goal? No, for Gordon's goal, you can see him being like, why are you next to me? Ue like, Yoab. Defend your space. Yeah. Don't come over here. Don't come here. I've never been a big fan of Barbe anyway, but um, you know he's got a nice left foot and that's about all. Good goal. Nice beard. Good goal. Yeah. Nice left foot. Chaotic defender. Quite good looking. Let's move on from this game. Don't feel like that's our, that's been our best uh, bit of analysis. So sorry, Coventry and QPR fans. That's why Sky didn't get us on for the game. <laughs> right, I say Samuel, with the ball at his feet, is an absolute demon, by the way. We're going to say that a lot this season. Uh, Brentford beat Huddersfield 3-0. I don't feel like Brentford's performance, if you just take out the fact of the goals that they did score this weekend and didn't score last weekend against Birmingham, don't really feel like there was a huge difference between Brentford's performance here but against Birmingham they came up against Karanka's defence and against Huddersfield they came up against a, a fairly crumbly one um, I don't I, I'm trying to trying to work out what the key takeaways from this game are Huddersfield still not necessarily well still not proving anyone wrong who said that they were a bit concerned they might start the season a bit all over the place albeit with very tough fixtures to, to begin with uh, from a Brentford point of view Josta Silva's continued Good performances are, are a real positive. And then th- there's already some question marks about big Ivan Tony because he has missed some some good chances in his first few games. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be okay. Um, given, you know, they had, they created 23 shooting opportunities, only a handful of which are outside the box. Um, I think Ivan Tony will be absolutely fine. Um, he just needs to get that first one. And I think that's oh, the key. I thought you were going to say he needs, he needs one to go in off his bum. That's what people always say at this point. It's, it's, we're two games in here let's not over overreact um but the yeah for Brentford's I think the key takeaway from this one is purely um you know it's it's the nonsense it's the the narrative around what goes on here um where it just feels like an hour into this game it felt like a classic Brentford another one just like last weekend creating opportunities failing to put them away so then to kind of step it up a gear and just ease past Huddersfield was important um, to to get rid of any of those concerns and to get their first win under their belt at the new stadium after a couple of, well, certainly against Wickham in the Cup, a, a, a 
pretty patchy performance. The interesting thing for Huddersfield, because we keep looking for clues about what this Huddersfield team are going to be like. And, mm. you know, the owner's spoken about how he's desperate to change the style of play and all the talk about Corboran being a Bielsa disciple. They, they, they dominated possession here, which not many teams are going to do against Brentford, I, I wouldn't say. They had basically all the possession in their own half, which is pretty un-Bielsa-like, even though Ben White and, and Calvin Phillips and, and even, you know, Liam Cooper... Um, you know, saw a lot of the ball. It wasn't passing for passing's sake. They're very rarely a team who does knock it around the They're back. A direct side, you mm. could say. Whereas here we had Stearman um, and basically Stearman attempted the most passes in the game along with Hogg. If you look at the pass maps, it's basically all inside their own half. Ben so, Hamer completed more passes than any Brentford player. There you go. The goalkeeper. There you have it. So Good spot, that. So that is something to keep an eye on, possibly. Good. Good analysis, George. Thank you very much. I'm going to stop now. Forest nil, Cardiff two. The early kickoff on Saturday. Uh, I worry that that sort of media excitement, and I include ourselves uh, in this at times, about managers being sacked is not my favourite part of football coverage in the media. Uh, we spoke last week about Ornstein's report that. Sabri Lamucci was under pressure from the owners. I don't necessarily think that fact surprised anyone. I remember when we predicted Forrest to finish just outside the playoffs, we had a few fans message, not saying that's really stupid, but just, oh God, like if that is the case, Sabri's not going to be there for the whole season. You know, the, the, the expectations are that high. Um, but there was a, a lot swirling around about Lamucci. And as I as I drove into Quest on Saturday, the, the pre-match, a lot of it was about Lamucci and his job being under threat. And, you know, it does... I, I am a bit uncomfortable about the extent to which people do talk about people's jobs uh, and their job security. And therefore, I felt pretty bad for Lamucci after all of that swirling around in the week. That after, what was it, three minutes, two minutes, Kiefer Moore has a free header from a corner. There's a huge. We could speak all day about to what extent does a manager, or is a manager responsible for their team's performances? Given that there are eleven adult men on the pitch who need to actually kick the ball, but we do think that managers have a big impact on a team, and therefore we credit them a lot when they do well, and we disparage them when the team's doing poorly. Of all the times to basically say, I think I'm letting him off this one. Of uh, uh, you know, uh, your player's not picking up the opposition striker after two minutes and going 1-0 down, I just felt really bad for him. And I then I felt pretty bad for him as well when Lewis Graben stabbed one over from, what, five yards about 20 minutes later. But but the fact is they lost 2-0 here. They've had a miserable start to the season. What do you make of it all? I mean, similarly, we, we do give managers a lot of credit when, especially in set pieces, when teams are, are a good set piece side, whether that's defensively or offensively. So I do think... You know, if you're giving an opposition striker a free header from a corner after three minutes, you've got to ask the question about how well drilled the, the players are in terms of their set piece defending. But I mean, that's in isolation. So we don't want to go too far down that road. It's just for, for Lamucci and for Forrest, this has been, this it's not two games in isolation. It is a run of form that has everybody yeah. questioning whether or not he is the right person. And when you couple that with, which 99% of fans won't be, when you couple that with the fact that there was a fair bit of evidence to suggest that they were not the third or fourth best team in the championship last season when they were in there based on shot data I mean it's it's basically ever since that win against Leeds which was itself a brilliant performance mm-hmm. um, and there's no taking anything away from Lewich and Forrest for that but it's it's been now you know 10 12 14 games um, so it's it's not a case of us saying that we think Lamucci should be sacked. It's a case of saying, looking at the owner, looking at the situation and saying and balancing it together and thinking it's probably quite likely mm. it's going to happen soon. Yeah, fair. And when you, when you add to that the calibre of manager that is currently available, Eddie Howe is, is the obvious one, but I would think Paul Cook would be a brilliant um, signing for Forrest to make. Somebody who deserve, deserves a shot at a, at a club of this kind of stature with this kind of ambition. Um, especially after what he had to deal with last season. Not to mention the old favourite, you know, your, your Chris Hewton, oh, yeah. um, I'm sure the fans would be very keen for. And then, you know, some managers, Ryan Lowe, one who deserves a shot higher up, although I'm sure he wouldn't want to be leaving a League One club. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of managers out there who, who I think would, would be good fits 
Um, although there is, of course, Forrest's relationship with a certain super agent that might mean that all those um, names uh, wouldn't come into it and would, would end up with someone who would have to be wikipedia pretty quickly. I wonder how that relationship is going, given that this summer's recruitment hasn't involved as many players that we that you kind of assume have links to that certain super agent um, and that some of those players that have signed in the last few years, like Joao Carvalho, for example, are kind of being frozen out or, or ushered out the door. So it's hard to know exactly what's going on with that relationship with George Mendes. But look, what you can say is that their centre-backs are not covering themselves in glory at the moment. Uh, Warrell and Figueredo have had a shaky start. I think it's fair to say Kiefer Moore made the most of that. And, and just to give a bit of credit to Cardiff, uh, their season started in pretty disappointing manner with the very strange uh, Nathaniel Mendes-Lang news to, to, to lose someone who is a key player and a, and a difference maker out wide for them uh, for a situation that is still pretty unclear, but it's obviously a, a, a huge breach of discipline just to have your contract cancelled like that. Um, to start off so poorly against Sheffield Wednesday, conceding early and not being able to get back in the game, they then showed their best side uh, in this game, getting ahead, managing that game really well, uh, all the things that we expect when Cardiff are at their best uh, under Neil Harris. So credit to Cardiff. Great to see big Kiefer grab a brace as well and you could say he is the key for more points for Cardiff this season yeah could do <laughs> definitely could do <laughs> uh, Freeman was good for Forrest I think he found it difficult to find much space in the sort of number 10 role which is kind of where he's nominally playing and that's because Cardiff are very good at denying those passes through the middle but drifted all over the place linked up well with with the fullbacks and the wide players I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him grow into the season because it's, it's it's early days he's just joined this club but I do like Luke Freeman I think he'll be a good player for them Lyle Taylor was also pretty good off the bench I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about whether they can get him and Graben in the same team and if not whether it should be Taylor over Graben um, because of what he can do outside of just scoring goals plenty to think about uh, final game to talk about in the championship Rotherham nil Millwall won George since Gary Rowett arrived Millwall have taken 29 points from 17 away games no side currently in the division has taken more than that. Of those 17 away games, 11 clean sheets and only 12 conceded. Pretty outstanding record uh, and shows what we can expect from Millwall away from home this season. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be paying my £10 to watch their away games this season. Um, <laughs> but I think if we had a worst on quest, maybe it would be Millwall this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a good result for them. I think Rotherham is going to be <clears throat> one of those places there. Certainly, when you're when you're travelling to the New York Stadium, it's not going to be easy to come back with three points. I don't think so. This was a good result. It was a game that basically was on the balance, was in the balance until uh, Michael Ahikwe, the the injury time goal hero from last weekend, um, let the ball under his foot. And the one player you probably don't want to be scampering onto a ball behind the back line is Jed Wallace, who one touch took it away from the keeper. Is there any FL player that bodies? The word scampering better than Jed Wallace? No, I don't think so. Brilliant. Um, no. Yeah. So it was, it, it was, this is probably as kind of bang average as a game could be in terms of the team who are most likely to win one. Mm. There was one goal that came from an error. Rotherham looked pretty, yeah. pretty toothless. Um, I mean, Rotherham did win the shot count, we should probably just say. So it wasn't all desperate from, from from their perspective. I think their performance was pretty good. Mm. And from a Millwall perspective, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, you know, plaudits for winning the game. But the one thing that held us back from being more positive about them uh, it, heading into the season was, can they consistently create chances, um, you know, in possession rather than just on the counter and from set pieces? They're clearly still not there just yet. Um, you know, they might well grow into the season. Uh, and when Troy Parrott gets more chances, maybe they'll be better in this regard. But they only had one successful pass into the Rotherham box on the weekend, which is not very impressive. They were gifted that goal by a huge error uh, across their two games. Uh, this is a bit statty, but only 15 touches in the opposition box through two games. Uh, only Huddersfield have had fewer. So something to watch, something to improve on for Millwall, but, but obviously a good start with two clean sheets and four points from two games. In League One, we've got three teams on the full complement of points. Six in total, George. One of them, Lincoln City. They went to Milton Keynes and left 2-1 winners uh, on the weekend. And it was a game marred by refereeing decisions, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, very fortunate to get the penalty after 11 minutes. It looked like a, a very good tackle, um, which was called out. 
um, for a pen, which was unfortunate for them. Um, lots of talk about the refereeing decision for Joe Mason's goal, but I think from the only angle that we can see it from, I don't think it's necessarily as clearly offside as some would have you believe. It looks pretty marginal, so we can't really um, get too annoyed about that. Um, but a good finish from Hopper to get Lincoln the three points. They were certainly not as impressive as they have been against Oxford or against in the in midweek in the cup. Um, but, you know, really impressive for them to get another three points. And it feels like for teams like Lincoln, um, it's, you know, the the expectations for, 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 the season, for the season is on a slider. And basically wherever they are after 10, 12 games will probably set what the expectations are for the whole season. Mm. Um, and getting six points out of six will, will give many belief that they can probably outshoot the wherever that slider started a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I'm certainly part of that. But um, yeah, there wasn't necessarily much to take out of this game to, to tell them that beyond the scoreline. What a header from Tom Hopper Lovely to win header, it. Yeah. Tom Leaper, they should call him. That was a lot more than a hop. Um, big, big stuff. And look, when you sign Callum Morton on loan and everyone's excited to see how he gets on playing up front for this Lincoln side, from a Tom Hopper perspective, you know, you want to keep your place. And he's doing that so far uh, and surely will keep his place for the next game. So real, real positive signs for Lincoln there. Uh, MK Dons, I'm really interested to see the way that they are playing at the moment. They're going for a proper possession game. I've also seen Bailey Cargill, the left centre-back, galloping forward at all opportunities he's been really involved in possession uh, affecting the game in the final third so they're, they're an interesting team to watch MK Dons it hasn't quite translated yet into points we'll see if that will happen uh, over the course of the season still missing Reese Healy of course who moved to Toulouse and probably haven't got someone of his quality in the final third or in the opposition penalty box um, and they are very hard to find Hull have six points uh, it was in truth a very tight game against Crew, who for the second week in a row will feel Fairly hard done by. I would say Crew out of any team on zero points across the EFL have probably performed the best, but they haven't scored yet. And it, and hopefully when they do, the the shackles will be off and confidence will start to flow. But in general play, I'd say Crew are still looking pretty good. Um, but Hull were good as well. This was a pretty high quality game, I'd say. Um, they weren't at, at they weren't purring. It's fair to say, but got a few standout performers for Hull who are making me quite encouraged uh, for their. For their, for their season, basically. Josh Emanuel at right back, rampaging down that side. Um, you've got George Honeyman, who I think is looking really good in midfield. He's a player who, you know, even at Sunderland, when he, when he got that move up to the championship, although he'd been a good player for Sunderland, I wasn't sure if he had necessarily stood out to the extent that I would be really confident that he'd be a good championship player or someone who could make a big impact on games. And I still don't feel that at championship level, but... Maybe it's a case of, of needing a bit more confidence and, and he's certainly someone who is going to get a lot of chance to impress at Hull this season. Hopefully he'll be able to do that. Uh, and Malik Wilkes obviously scoring the winner. Let's not forget that Wilkes can and will score a lot of goals at this level if he can stay motivated and stay Six fit. shots in the game. Six shots in the game. Yeah, he started out on the right where we know he's a goal threat cutting in. McGuinness through the middle is, as always, not looked like a massive goal threat. So Wilkes went through the middle after McGuinness came off and he scored a proper striker's goal. So I do wonder whether they've, you know, they've got these sort of quite mobile wide forwards like Wilkes and Keen Lewis Potter and James Scott and uh, uh, the, the signing from Austria that they signed in the week. And I just wonder if they might go for a properly fluid front three rather than just always having a McGuinness or an Eves through the middle. They might just go pure fluidity uh, and it'd be interesting if they do. Uh, not a huge amount of fluidity in the Bristol Rovers Ipswich game. With Ipswich won 2-0. Uh, they've got six points. Uh, it was a it was a tight game until Ipswich's subs kind of came on and changed the game. Flynn Downs off the bench. That shows the strength that they have in, in midfield. Dozell, Nolan and Bishop. Uh, that midfield three ticking along very nicely, it's fair to say. And Jack Lancaster set up both goals off the bench as well. He's a really interesting player who I'd like to see stay fit because it seems like he's got a lovely left foot. I think he can be a goal threat and, and clearly he's got a few creative bones in his body as well. So, I mean, it's hard to know how carried away to get with Ipswich at the moment. They beat Wigan, they beat Bristol Rovers in, in a fairly tight one and they've got Rochdale next up. So I dare say we'll be talking again about them next Monday, probably, with nine points from nine and all of a sudden it's time to get a bit excited maybe. Yeah, definitely. Um, playing against a side as well in Bristol Rovers who many fancy to be 
fairly decent this season and they restricted them to just six shots. Um, it's always going to be the same, I think, with Lambert Sipswich, where it's not going to be particularly exciting, maybe. Um, but, you know, a good defence and um, preventing the opposition from creating chances can take you ahead of a long way. And, and it's good to see certain players who we rate who haven't necessarily done it yet in an mm. Ipswich start, shirt starting very well. Nolan getting the second goal here is a key one, his first goal in a year. Um, but Grian Edwards, a player who I really thought when he moved to Ipswich, what, two years ago, was going to be a great signing for them. But over the last couple of years, he hasn't really performed particularly well, or at least never consistently. But he started the season well too. Um, and Ciala as well. Yeah. Another guy in his third season at the club, who I think the fans would not have been disappointed to see him cast aside. He was on loan at Bolton last season, so he wasn't part of the squad, but had a good game at the heart of the defence there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... Um, the, there's no denying that there is enough League One talent in this side and this squad, as you mentioned with Downs coming off the bench. You know they have the depth as well to be very good at this level. Certain players over at the moment over injury issues with Bishop and Dazelle starting in centre midfield for them as well. Which is you know if, he, if they can keep Downs, Dazelle and Bishop all fit, then that is going to be that makes them a hell of a lot better than they were last season. Um, so yeah, Im- impressive performances and results for Ipswich. Oxford nil, Sunderland two. I'd like you to talk ah, me through. Move on, won't we? Talk me through that one. <laughs> I mean, credit Sunderland. They were the better sides on the day. Um, they were probably the better side generally. Uh, Chris Maguire normally doesn't turn up against Oxford, but he but he put a he hell was of a lot of absolutely on one. He um yeah he he put that to rest on on Saturday with a, a dominating performance. Oxford had a couple of chances at nil nil that may have made it a, a bit of a different game. Matt Taylor heading just wide early on. Um, but yeah, Sunderland created at will, basically. Um, it was a pretty open game, um, but certainly the better side won. And any you know issues that Sunderland fans have with Phil Parkinson, I, I don't think are going to last much longer because I can see them being pretty free-scoring under him because they do have the attacking... He's, he's finding a way to get these attacking players to gel and um, the whole long ball thing isn't really happening. They're... They are getting the ball forward very quickly, I would say, but they're not necessarily just lumping it along. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think now after we spent a lot of pre-season saying, you know, they they were not rightful favourites. If I was to draw up my 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 uh, prices now for League One, I think I probably would have them at the top. And of all the centre backs that they've cycled through since dropping down into League One, it feels like Jordan Willis is is the one certainly at the moment who has not only impressed to you know grown into his role and impressed but is continuing to do so and uh, and he was brilliant again uh, on the weekend uh, one of the most eye catching performances for me was Doncaster Rovers's win at Charlton 3-1 winners having been 3-0 up uh, there's a few things to touch on here you've got Maja 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 Gomez who has scored two goals in two games both of them pretty eye catching strikes from range and the balance in that midfield looks really nice you've got Whiteman at the base of it just simply shouldn't be playing in League One um, the classiest midfield player I think uh, in League One it's fair to say you've got Maja Gomez who was a fringe player last season couldn't get in too often in front of uh, of Ben Sheaf of course who was on loan uh, from Arsenal but now is getting his chance and is showing himself to be very mobile uh, athletic very good on the ball uh, carries it well and is clearly offering a goal threat so really positive start and then the the other thing that just stands out about Doncaster at the moment is Darren Moore has this reputation for being a really good person to develop young talent and that has translated in four loan players who already look like they'll be good players at the level Joseph Bursick in goal on loan from Stoke Taylor Richards on loan from Brighton who I think looks really exciting he hasn't necessarily like dominated or stood out on the highlights yet but I think in general play he looks brilliant in midfield with Gomez and Whiteman uh, Tyrese John Jules's goal was absolutely spectacular you know to have the the control and skill to nutmeg a defender uh, to jink inside and pick out the top corner it was the, the sort of quality that you don't always see at this level uh, and they've also got Rayan Tullock on loan from West Brom who looks really tricky got injured early on in this game but it's just it's always worth mentioning that it's so it's such a bonus for a club to have a manager who Premier League managers trust to develop their most talented young players. And it can make a huge difference uh, to a club's short-term prospects if they can get three or four players in, not on 
not on trans not with transfer fees but with you know just covering the wages or a portion of it can make a huge difference in the short term the flip side of that which we have said before you don't want that to be your whole strategy you can't just develop other teams players because then you are living sort of year to year and if you get promoted let's say you can kind of walk into some some choppy waters if you realize that four or five of your best players are moving on and going back to their parent clubs what i would say is there is an in-between Doncaster signed Lokilo, uh, who they had on loan last season, was released by Palace and wanted to go to Donny because he'd enjoyed his time there. The same with Cameron John on loan from Wolves. So that's a good way of doing things if you can. If you can have these loan players who make a difference in the short term and prove yourself to them to be a good landing spot when they get released or if they get released, um, it's something to watch with Donny because I think they could be quite an interesting side this season. They weren't a million miles away last season were they and as we said in the preview if they can keep Whiteman especially they could be very very interesting uh, George Peterborough 2 Fleetwood 1 Blackpool 2 Swindon 0 which one of those two games would you like to to go off on I think Blackpool 2 Swindon 0 I think Peterborough's win is, is clearly very significant given the circumstances and the way they got it but we've been Blackpool were one of those sides where you looked at the business they'd done the attacking players they have at their disposal. And it was easy to get very excited by it. I mean, the front three of Labala, Yates and Hamilton, for example, with Ethan Robertson sitting behind them in midfield and Keshi playing um, as like another one of those attacking eights is exciting. We had some concerns about the defensive side of things, but you look at their first two games, they didn't concede many chances to, to Plymouth away and they've kept Swindon at arm's length here, a side who under Wellens are very very capable at creating so and you added to that the the not doubts but the lack of knowledge we have around Neil Critchley as well everything that we thought were possible negatives a couple of weeks ago don't really feel like they are anymore Mm. Um, and that is pretty exciting this is a really impressive win CJ Hamilton taking the step up to, to League One you know displaying the kind of form that we saw two seasons ago not last season at Mansfield um yeah, if I'm, if I'm taking a team out of this weekend to be a little bit sweet on, maybe we'll talk about them again on the betting show on Thursday. Mm. Um, this would be it. Doncaster for me and, and Blackpool for you. That's mm. nice. Uh, Posh beat Fleetwood 2-1. Uh, two goals in injury time. Uh, it was a funny one, this, because I think on balance of play, it probably would have been a little unfair on Posh if Fleetwood had won 1-0, as they were heading into injury time, and then Posh scoring two to win it and Nick the win felt a little bit unfair on, on Fleetwood. So uh, I've not got a ton of, of analysis on this game. From the sounds of things, Fleetwood managed the game pretty well once they went ahead, a goal from a corner. Callum Camps again showing his goal scorer's instinct. What an addition to, to this Fleetwood side he is if he can keep scoring goals from midfield. Um, and I think they managed it fairly well and, and the two goals basically being exactly the same. Like, Packed in uh, packed numbers in the box, headed away, and and two volleys from the edge. One from Taylor, which was magnificent, and one from Smodix, which was nice if a little deflected. Uh, and then a few tight wins uh, that we we can't go in too deep on at the moment. Northampton beating Shrewsbury. Northampton with ten players out here and played well. You know, with Joe Martin playing left centre back, with Michael Harriman playing right centre back. Uh, it's it's amazing that they're they're still rolling basically despite not only the players that they lost uh, from that magnificent playoff performance, but also the players that are out injured at the moment. And it speaks to the insane like spirit and the, the form that they're in as a club, uh, which is brilliant. They were a little lucky that Shrewsbury's goalkeeper came out and swung and missed uh, and and, uh, and that led to the winning goal. Burton beat Accrington 2-1, Jake Buxton's first win as a manager. I must admit, George, I wouldn't have had Jake Buxton down as a cardigan guy. He's gone for the cardigan approach on the touchline and i just surprised at it. Not not what I expected based on his playing style, um, but good for him to celebrate his first win and his old mate, John Brayford, uh, scoring the winning goal for him. Gillingham beat Wigan 3-2. It's, it's difficult to know how to pitch chat about Wigan games at the moment because it doesn't, it doesn't feel quite right to praise their opposition too much, if you know what I mean. Like, it feels like it's a bit of a given three points at this stage, but then that's well, not a particularly fun conversation to I mean, have either. I, I don't know if that's necessarily fair um, on Wigan or on Gillingham. I, I don't think this is a walkover as it stands. Um, 
Yeah, they've only been beaten by by a single goal here. We've seen in other performances earlier in the campaign already that they're, they're, they are competitive with their first 11. Um, so, especially given that Steve Evans' issues getting Gillingham to, to score, basically, last season, scoring three goals against anybody is fairly significant. And, you know, they've still got a, a front line of, of Naismith, Garner and, and Solomon Ottobor, which I think any of those three players would be welcomed into most squads in this league. Um, you know, fingers crossed for Wigan that everything's okay. But I, I think, you know, even in their current guise with John Sheridan as manager, I think they're going to be picking up points. Let's move down into League Two. Just don't really know how to talk about Wimbledon four, Plymouth four. Just absolute carnage. To draw me. How how do you analyse a game where, like, one team was ahead twice and didn't win the game, and the other team was two goals ahead at one point and still didn't win the game. Some incredible goals here. A, a very rare occasion where 3-5-2 meets 3-5-2 uh, and we get a ton of goals, a lot of them from range. My favourite moment was the referee just walking into Joe Piggott just as he stood over his free kick. Piggott sort of fairly nonplussed and quite bemused just stepping up and sticking the free kick into the top corner. We've got to talk League Two now and we have to talk about Cambridge United we probably didn't give them as much credit as they might have liked after winning 3-0 on opening day with those three really early goals. How about a 5-0 win, George, on second day? <laughs> Against a side of Morecambe who we keep being like, they're not going to be the whipping boys. Yeah. You know, they're going to be a mid-table side under Derek Adams. Awesome. Really impressive. I'm really excited about this Cambridge side. Um, you know, It's pretty easy to sit here after they've won an aggregate 8-0 and say that it's been a good start. But there, there's just a lot to like and early signs are that Houlihan is is going to be a very good player. They had 20 shots in the game, so they were just creating, you know, absolutely at will. Um, you know, Mark Bonner is, is a manager who it's impossible to say how good they could be under him because we just know so little about him. Marcelo but, Bonner. But every, but every um, you know, every indication at this early stage is that they've got themselves an absolute gem. Um, important not to get carried away. <laughs> Good to give that caveat, but you they've know they've got an absolute we to, gem. If we, important you know, not if, to get carried away. If there was a if there was a bad announcement this week, touch with it, nothing like this happens. That football was going to stop again for a while, and we had to crown somebody the EFL champions. Well done, at Cambridge United. You've got the uh, you've got the nod. Everything's working very well, isn't it? Uh, two clean sheets, of course, but just nice sort of different options. I'd say going forward, down either flank, you've got the right side where Houlihan is drifting in in those half spaces with the quality in his left foot, that is a dangerous prospect that opposition teams need to be so wary of. But I guess if you're the left back of the opposition side, you can't just follow Houlihan everywhere because you've got Kyle Noyle, who is so mobile and so energetic and has quality in his delivery uh, from right back as well. So that's really dangerous. Down the other side, you've got Hannant, who got two assists here as well. And Lewis Dunk, who is the left back who wears the number 11. That kind of tells you where his strengths lie going forward. Um, so the midfield two are really important here, Digby and, and May. Um, it, you know, if they can break up play and provide a good screen for the defence, as well as, you know, play, playing it, well, being comfortable on the ball and, and moving the ball forward into the likes of Houlihan and Hannant. And then you've got the front two in Ironside and Mullen, who have started really, really well. I must admit, Mullen not scoring a hat-trick is the most angry I've ever been about anything because he scored two regulation goals. I've seen goals. you on the golf course and I find that far, I find that hard to believe. Two regulation goals and his first goal, which was given as an own goal to the goalkeeper, where he whips out a Cruyff turn and a left-footed curler from the right edge of the box, which hits the post, hits the goalkeeper and trickles in. I understand, a bit like those Barnsley red cards, which just felt unfortunate, but I still think we're probably if you're to apply the laws of the game, correct, I do understand why it has to go down as a goalkeeper own goal. But the fact that Mullen didn't get a hat-trick here, I felt pretty bad for him. Uh, really positive signs for another team on six points, Port Vale, uh, where their opening weekend win was about as comfortable a home victory as you can get against Crawley. This was different. They had to really dig deep. Um, they went one up against Exeter, at Exeter, thanks to a magnificent free kick from Tom Conlon. Uh, they've got excellent nicknames, Port Vale fans, for their local heroes. So Tom Pope, who is a local lad, they call him the Snade Green Sniper. Uh, and Tom Conlon, who's also a local lad from Port Hill. He's the Port Hill Pierlo. Uh, and I'm indebted to friend of the pod, Steve Freeth, who keeps me up to date with these with these excellent nicknames. But yes, this, ex this Exeter side, I think, looked quite good and caused Vale some problems. And the fact that they stood strong 
They got that second goal on the break in the second half. It's only two games, of course, but we've seen them win 2-0, two different ways, keeping clean sheets in both, uh, and some real quality from Conlon on the ball in midfield too. So, uh, you know, we, we said that everything was sort of pointing in the right direction for Vale, and they've shown nothing to suggest that that was wrong. And we saw Cheltenham get the win that they would have been pretty gutted not to have got when they got gubbed by Morecambe on opening weekend, George. 3-0 winners against Tranmere. Uh, it, this was the Cheltenham of old, I think it's fair to say. Yes, after having to deal with some pretty um, demoralising defeats, not only the end of last season, but also the beginning of this season as well, to put in a performance like this against a side who you know, I think they would certainly expect and I think I would agree should be, they might, might not be, but they should be based on their squad, uh, promotion rivals for them this season. And just to do away with them in this sense just to kind of wipe the floor with them pretty comfortably uh, and race into a three-goal lead and then you know as as uh, Mike Duff alluded to on in his post-match interview you know, Tramie created chances in the second half but really it doesn't matter because the game was the game was gone so good to see Cheltenham bouncing back to something near their best good to see Andy Williams getting on the score sheet uh, for his first goal and yeah a lot to like for, for um, you know I'm a massive fan of Duff and I think that as long as he's there we're going to see more of these kind of performances and results for Cheltenham absolutely crazy game at Blundell Park the home of the team that we considered to be best on quest in our preview pods and that's Grimsby Town they lost 4-0 to Salford they gave away three penalties and had a man sent off and Grimsby managed to generate uh, 2.26 xg um, keep plugging away Grimsby stop giving away pens stop getting men sent off Things will be okay and things will always be very entertaining, I think it's fair to say. Gary Neville must watch the two teams that he cares most about and just think penalties are just like the easiest thing ever. <laughs> just like, what? how have we drawn nil-nil? Like, where was our penalty? Um, because, we, yeah, it's important with Salford to say that I think they're not going to continue to pick up penalties. Like, there's absolutely no... <laughs> You'd, tomorrow. You did say to me earlier that you were pretty annoyed with yourself that you hadn't just backed Ian Henderson to be top scorer. Yeah, it just felt a bit easy. Um, it felt a bit simple. But, I, you know, he hasn't scored. He's scored, he's scored one from open play now. No, two. Two from open play. Um, which is still very good after two games. <laughs> um, but I think for Salford, again, after a troubling first league performance, um, after a lot of hype and a lot of business done to win so comfortably away from home, um, will certainly give them a bit of a boost. And I, I don't think this is going to be the last time we see them put four past a team in this league. There were five home wins uh, in League Two this weekend. I want to talk about two of them, George. Newport 2, Barrow 1. Spoke about Newport on the betting show. Uh, I was confident that the early signs were quite positive and they did beat Barrow, albeit gave themselves... Uh, well, they made it hard for themselves because this new style that Mike Flynn is moving towards, which is basically from uber direct to possession heavy. Uh, I'm really interested to see how a team evolves in in this sense. It's as if he's looked at his squad, he's decided that he's got probably the best midfield player in the league in Josh Sheehan, uh, a youngster on loan from Swindon in Scott Twine, and he's thought, you know, let's make the most of these guys. Let's play, let's keep the ball, and let's let's try and get them in good areas to create in the final third. They've also got Abrahams and Armand, up top who probably aren't the target that Jamil Matt was previously so it's really interesting for me to see this change in philosophy to use that quite annoying word um, <laughs> Liam Shepard was a big pickup down the right side uh, at right wing back scored you know when you see the right wing back in the centre of the box finishing off a chance from from open play that's just quite exciting for me so I'm looking forward to, to seeing more from this Newport side they did beat Barrow uh, they basically gave Barrow a goal through some sloppy passing around the back. And then Barrow gave them the winning goal through some sloppy passing around the back. Mm. So uh, one to watch because, you know, possession heavy doesn't equal good. It doesn't equal they're going to win loads of games. I'm just interested to watch how uh, how the evolution goes and, and whether it works for them. And then Colchester beat Bolton. This was a win based on a strong defence, basically. A good, good sort of management of the situation. I think... Everyone knows, everyone probably knew the way that Ian Everett wanted to play with Bolton. And I think the teams that they play early on this season are going to benefit from playing Bolton early on this season because the process is there. They are playing the way that we expected them to. Eh? They are also playing a, a really heavy possession-based style. 
They're, they're looking to work the ball along the ground and to work it into good areas. At the moment, it just looks like the they're a little off in terms of it's a whole new side and they haven't clicked yet. It's not hugely concerning from my point of view because I think they will grow into the season. They will develop that understanding as a team. Um, but at the moment, it's not quite working. I think Colchester probably knew that that was on the cards, set up very sturdy defensively, scored a goal from a set piece, scored a goal on the break, made the most of a mistake from the goalkeeper. Um, all positive stuff for, for Cole Yu, which leaves Stevenish 3, Oldham 0, Carlisle 2, Southend 0, Crawley 1, Scunthorpe 0. George, the main takeaways from those games, from, from your perspective? Going to give you two. Uh, Carlisle to Southend nil told us I think that what we already knew is that this car this Southend side are absolutely desperate um, they had four shots in the game this wasn't just a regulation 2-0 defeat if such a thing exists this was an absolute battering at the hands of a side in Carlisle who had really struggled up to this point as well both defensively and going forward so that is one thing um, secondly Stevenage Oldham I was quite sweet on Oldham before the season started. There are red flags everywhere after that performance, but I'm still not giving up on them yet. But this is more this is more to do with Stevenage, really. Um, because as we mentioned before, this Stevenage side, a, a totally different side to last season's Stevenage in terms of personnel. And they also have a rookie manager um, in Alex Revel, who we don't know much about either. They were pretty poor on opening day. So for them to improve like this and to put in a performance like that, um, is serves as the first kind of nugget mm. of evidence that they might be a bit better than the side who finished plum bottom last time out. New personnel, new personality, dare I say, with, with Ravel in charge. It was his first win as a manager, so congrats to him and Jake Buxton uh, for getting over the line this weekend, and they can build on that. Only three wins in their 36 league games last season, Stevenage, let's not forget. So um, good to get that early win. Osborne list. Wilding, all these guys had really good games, especially in the second half. And with Prosser and Cuthbert as your back two, I don't think they're going to be particularly um, miserable defensively. So lots of positive signs there. We've got to mention Jimmy Torre of Carlisle, who looks pretty exciting on the ball, at least. I've, I've seen a lot of Carlisle fans saying, out of possession, Jimmy Torre doesn't have a huge amount of interest in the game. But with the ball at his feet, as we saw in assisting the second goal for Carlisle, uh, for Coyote, he looks like he's got a real spark. Little step over, um, moved the ball into space, ran onto it, played a really good, clever pass into Coyote. So exciting signing, someone who's been playing a lot of non-league football, uh, very much one to watch. And Crawley beat Scunthorpe 1-0. Marcus, uh, who sent in his scouting report on Sunday, said Scunthorpe were really desperate, aside from Alex Gilead, his main takeaway, even as a Crawley fan was that he just felt quite bad for Gilead, who apparently <laughs> just really looked very, very good. I love that idea of feeling, watching a team, an opposition team that's so bad, being like, oh, I just feel sorry for him. But nice for Yemsey to have a smile on his face. Mm. I don't know if he did or not. but I think our, our Yemsey love affair might have soured in my, in my mm. mind. Yeah, I'll think, I think I'll give him one more chance. Um, I, you know, one contextless clip doing the rounds on social media does not a bad bloke make. But okay. I know what you're saying. Uh, just to finish off, Tactics Corner. Um, you can switch off if you're not interested about uh, in this at all, but I think it's quite interesting. So I just wanted to see what formations teams were setting up in uh, two games into the season, of course, and always subject to change. We know, for example, that Coventry City last season started 4-2-3-1 and switched to their lovely box formation, 3-4-2-1 or 3-6-1 if you're feeling cheeky. Um, and that is, you know, that, that is always on the cards as teams move throughout the season. But I just thought it might be interesting to have a look. I always bang on about how many teams are playing three at the back uh, now in the EFL. So I wanted to see what the numbers say. Uh, and it's 35% is the answer. 26 out of 72 teams are playing three at the back systems to start the season. It's 10 out of 24 in the championship. So I used to think it was League Two that was the real three at the back league, uh, but it turns out it's the championship now. Not a single team in the championship playing 4-4-2 or four diamonds two. So Nathan Jones's impact has sort of fizzled out in that sense. Luton playing 4-3-3 under Jones. So I'm a bit disappointed because I quite enjoyed that. Uh, in League Two, there are six teams playing 4-4-2 so that's kind of 4-4-2 central it's not a great league if you're a number 10 league two not a lot of teams playing a, a formation uh, with a number 10 at league one 
mostly 4-3-3, or that's the majority. Uh, 4-3-3 for nine teams, 4-2-3-1 for six more teams. So 15 teams out of 24 playing either 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. Overall, across the three divisions, the most popular formation is 4-3-3 or 4-5-1 out of possession, you'd probably say. Uh, 20 teams out of 72, but just behind is 4-2-3-1 on 19. I know you might be listening and thinking at times it can be sort of quite tough to judge whether something is a 4-3-3 and a 4-2-3-1. And I agree, but those are the two most popular formations. And then 3-5-2 or 3-4-1-2, a couple of teams you know, have a more obvious number 10 uh, in their midfield three. That is 18 out of 72, so 25%. So those three formations really clear at the top. 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, or 3-5-2. Uh, and then eight teams out of 72 playing 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-3. So that's a, a three at the back system, but with sort of wide forwards supporting uh, a, a number nine, or as Coventry do and as Northampton have started with two sort of number 10s behind a, uh, a front man. Uh, and as I say, just seven teams across the league playing 4-4-2 or four diamonds too. Not many diamonds around, I'm afraid. It uh, looks like Rochdale might be going uh, that direction, which is quite exciting. Uh, let's keep an that eye. That is very exciting. Right, that's it. That's it. Uh, it's been a wonderful Monday pod. So many goals, so many exciting games to talk about. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Um, make sure that you're subscribed to this feed. You'll get a betting show later on in the week. And we will also be seeing you on Sky Sports on Friday night. We'll be seeing you on Five Live on yes. Saturday. Yeah, I think so. An exciting week as always. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.